Hi, I'm Casey. And I'm Katie. And I'm John. (laughs) And you are listening to the fifth episode of the Turning Tables podcast. Um, If this is your first time listening, make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. If this is your second or third or fourth or fifth time listening and you have not reviewed our podcast, you need to stop what you're doing right now. Put it on pause. It's It's not going to go away. Put it on pause. What have you been doing? Go leave us a little review five star please be nice tell everybody how much you love it share it with a friend or be honest if you don't love it i mean (laughs) i guess you could innocence is bliss in my opinion (laughs) just tell us you love it um and then also follow us on instagram and twitter and facebook at turning pod you can tag us you could screenshot um your little iphone or your little android listening to the episode and you know at turning pod tag us so we can share it in our instagram stories or something yeah yeah so today i'm um, pretty excited about our topic um as all three of us have somehow encountered this issue whether it's working um alongside homeless people or um having homeless friends it's been something that we consistently talk a lot about and feel as though Many people in the church, many Christians have a misunderstanding of homelessness. I think before I moved to South City, I probably would have seen someone homeless and just thought, well, oh my gosh, just get a job. You know, why can't you just get a job? Like, why are you begging for money? But there's so many layers to the issue um, and the cycle of poverty is so real. So we wanted to talk about this and demystify homelessness a little bit for our listeners. Um, But I want to start by sharing some statistics on homelessness in Missouri, as all three of us live in the St. Louis area. Um, 5,000, there are 5,883 homeless people in Missouri, and that was as of January 1st, 2018. And then of that total, 706 were family households, 507 of those were veterans, 534 were unaccompanied young adults ages 18 to 24 and 1043 of those individuals were experiencing chronic homelessness, which we'll dive into that definition a little bit later. But I wanted to specifically um, let John and Casey talk a little bit about this issue because both of them have been employed at organizations or nonprofits that um, are targeting or, or trying to target the issue of homelessness. So I don't know who wants mm-hmm. to go first. Well, I'll just also, just to piggyback off those stats, um, you know, it's important to remember that not all homelessness is the same. Um, it just because you're sleeping outside in someone else's doesn't mean you're in the same context. And I know, Casey, you had a helpful, it was like four different um, variations on homelessness, on sleeping outside. Do you have that, that list, Andy? Yeah, yeah um, this is what like the United Way uses when they're doing um, funding for organizations and when they discuss this topic. Um, so the first type is situational or transitional. It's basically people who are forced into homelessness, usually for a short period of time because of some catastrophic, uh, catastrophic thing in their life, lost their job, mm-hmm. uh, death of a parent, something like that, where they just suddenly lose income and they can't make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's like episodic or cyclical homelessness, which is typically people that are in abject poverty to begin with, but they're at that level where sometimes they can afford a, somewhere to live and sometimes they can't. And the difference can be, you know, 10 hours less on their paycheck that week or um, healthcare bills or something like that can 
push them one way or the other. And then like chronic or long-term homelessness, this is kind of what most people think of where it's just you live on the streets year round or a good portion of it. And then the fourth category is kind of a pseudo homelessness, which is you're couch surfing or living with friends or family rent free. Um, you have somewhere to stay, but they that can go away at any any time if they choose to not let you stay there anymore. Um, this is a larger category than I think we're aware of because it's really hard to track. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that last category, um, some of the the relationships I've I've made with people that are homeless that are sleeping outside, they usually fit into that fourth category, at least the ones I've engaged with. Um, and the various ministries I've been a part of, but, uh, I just think it's important to remember again that, you know, not everyone who is homeless has the same degree of homelessness or they all have different stories of what brought them there and what's maybe keeping them there. Absolutely. Um, Katie and I both have, um, we've had the pleasure of, uh, and when we were living in, in the city, um, having people over who, uh, were sleeping in the park just down the street. And, um, that was really I mean, we had them over for dinner for a few years in mm-hmm. a row, and it, it really was impactful for myself yeah. and for KDU as well. Um, just learning, and, and I think the, the, the place I start with this whole issue is that everyone has a story, right? Everyone has a context. And when I um, heard the stories of the, the three guys that really we got to know, um, I learned that all three were very, very different. You know, one guy, um, part of his story was that, um, you know, he was, he had a relationship issue um, and then he was laid off of his his job that he, he had actually a, a, like a top paying great job. And it was kind of a, a, a perfect storm of a lot of life events hitting him at once. And that, that launched him into homelessness. And then, and then, you know, the other guys have a completely different story as well. So just, it's important to remember that everyone has their own story. Um, for myself, um, I, yeah, so as Katie mentioned, I work, I've worked in two different, um, ministries within St. Louis that have been, um, trying to outreach to, um, people sleeping outside. Um, one of which, um, I won't name names for, for either of them. Well, I mean for one of them, but for the good one, for the, yeah, one of which, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have nothing but positive things to speak about. One of which, um, left some, I don't know, left me But I think that'll be, it'll be good for you to talk about the healthy way yeah. and the impactful way that the, the one organization is helping the community and then um, the other organization, how it's probably hurting the community. Yeah. So to start with, um, I'll speak on one of them and then maybe Casey, you can talk after mm-hmm. this first one. But um, one I just want to totally just speak highly of um, – is an organization in St. Louis called Bridge Bread. Um, you may have heard of it. Uh, you may not have, but they're on Instagram. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. They at, have several little stores at Bridge you can go Bread. Go buy their I bread. Think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually created their social. But tell media them how panels. we found it out. <laughs> found, found it. it out. Found <clears throat> out about Bridge Bread. Yeah. So um, the owner, um, it, it, it's it's his whole brainchild, brainchild, his hmm. whole project. Uh, his name is Fred Domke, and uh, we found out about. Bridge bread because when we were living in the uh, in South City area, we were walking one day, and uh, we walked past this this storefront, and and we're like, Bridge bread, what what is that? That sounds kind of neat. And we kind of looked in the window a little bit and seen what they're all about. And then was it? Did we, he reach out to us? We pulled up a video on yeah. their Facebook page, and we're instantly just captivated by what they were doing. And then we were doing um, 
as John mentioned earlier, we were doing like community dinners in our neighborhood and inviting our neighbors over for dinner. Um, and we needed rolls, like dinner rolls to serve with our dinner. So we thought, man, this would be a great way for us to support this organization is by buying the dinner rolls. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, John, yeah. but the whole premise of the organization is that they want to get people off the streets and break the cycle of poverty. And the way they're doing that is by giving homeless people a job. They're teaching them a trade, actually. So they're not just giving them a you know, a task to do, but they're teaching them how to bake bread and then um, helping them get, you know, housing. They're meeting with people like counselors. I mean, the whole yeah. organization is so cool, but every, if you purchase bread from them, a lot of churches will purchase communion bread from them or bread for like after church dinners. I mean, anything like that. And then like individuals like us were purchasing bread. The Every sale goes directly back to the bakers and they actually pay... Um, Fred researched what bakers were making on average in St. Louis at places like Panera Bread or, um, you know, Companion, any of these places that have their bakeries and saw what the average pay was. And he actually increased their pay by a couple dollars over what the average baker was making. Um, and it's just, it's such a cool organization because you're not just saying, okay, hey, do this, do this. I'll give you some, you know, $10 because that really doesn't, fix the problem, but you're teaching them a trade. So when they're done with the program, they can go get a job and they already have an apartment and you've taught them how to pay bills and get out of debt. I mean, it's yeah. awesome. It's incredible. And really it, it, the origin story of it is, uh, it started, um, it was, it was a ministry coming out of a church called the bridge. Um, and it was just, it was something to where they were seeing a whole lot of just unbelievable stories and the de demand for the bread was increasing, increasing, increasing. They finally said, let's go ahead and get a storefront um, and call it its own thing, Bridge Bread. And now um, within the last couple of years, they just moved to Cherokee Street and they have a, an, a much larger building. Um, they can they have one in St. Charles too. They do have, I'm not sure if it's still open, um, but they, they did. Yeah, it was right on St. Charles Main Street. Um, but yeah, they can bake all in-house on Cherokee Street. And I know long-term, um, they they want to grow this to be a, I mean, a full-fledged, think, think uh, bread company, but on but on Cherokee Street. Um, but the cool thing is, again, it's, it's the theme of, it's restoration. Like we're going to take someone who... Um, who, who has nothing or has little, and we're going to help them. We're going to restore them back to image bearers. I mean, they are, we're image bearers, but back to, you know, they can function in society. And I mean, it's just really cool. Fred would talk a lot about, um, it doesn't stop at an income, but, um, he would help, he would get to know his bakers and learn like one of the guys I know, um, he really wanted to finish his education and Fred and, and bridge he Brad, passed away recently. Yeah. Um, but they were able to fund his education uh, based on bridge bridge sales. And so it's, it's looking at someone again with their story, with their context as, as an image being image bearing human being and restoring them. And it wasn't, he would tell you, I mean, and you know, John worked with them for about six months, but it wasn't always easy. I mean, he had to put out fires a lot with the bakers and just deal with interpersonal relationships and issues. But I think the other organization that you worked for um, had more of the mindset of like, you know, well, God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and that is an extremely problematic way of thinking. Which we will, we will definitely spend I've some time on that. that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I talk about 
knowing someone on an individual level and their story and their context and helping them with the restoration, um, that, that is what was missing with, with the other ministry. So we'll get into that, but I want to bring Casey into discussion as well. Um, Casey, talk a little bit about the ministries you've been a part of when it comes to homelessness, sleeping outside. What, what has that been like for you? Um, so I've had a pretty long experience with homelessness as an issue overall. Um, when I was in college, I used to study at a McDonald's that was pretty far from town because it was always empty and it's a, the cheapest way of getting a set, like a steady stream of caffeine over a long period of time when you need to study and they always have Wi-Fi. So now was it single origin coffee? I have no idea. <laughs> Just like JK. Um, so I would go to this McDonald's and there was a homeless woman who would come in every single morning and get breakfast there. And she would count out her coins that she had found out throughout the week um, and try and buy a cup of coffee and maybe a McRiddle or something. And after being there for a while and seeing her always come in, I... Um, tried to talk to her, but she had a lot of um, health issues and was mostly nonverbal. But I eventually came up with this pattern where I'd come in in the morning before class to study, and I would buy my my drink or whatever, and leave some food, for, uh, leave uh, money for them to pay for her. Um, it was kind of a pattern that I established for most of the time I was in college, and um, as I did that, I kind of realized how easy a lot of the problems of homelessness would be to solve if we cared enough to solve them. Um, I made some waves at the time. I was in college. I uh, did a lot with the fraternity community and the Greek community. And I did like a back of notebook uh, calculation and realized that they, the Greek community spent more money on like t-shirts every semester than it would take to end homelessness homelessness in the entire county. Um, fast forward to um, getting here to St. Louis, um, and I try to continue that whenever I see a anyone who is in need. I wouldn't just give them money. I kind of got into this habit of like sitting down with them, eating a meal, getting to know their name, their story. And then now I work in an organization that does a lot of support for homeless people. And so trying to connect them to whatever resources they need. Um, yeah. For that organization, um, which I don't want to name names, but uh, it's a big organization in St. Louis and nationally that does um, homeless um, work as well as just poverty assistance in general. I know in St. Louis we have a homeless shelter, a veterans-specific homeless shelter, a uh, warming and cooling shelter for during the parts of the year that are particularly bad to be sleeping outside, um, food pantries. Um, and I run a bunch of programs doing uh, specific assistance for during like the Christmas season. So I've had an experience to interact with people just in poverty in general and really extreme um, homelessness and poverty um, on a day-to-day -day basis. It's awesome. And I think it's um, being able to see that because you said it's a national, uh, it's a national outreach, and it's also a local outreach. Right. Um, there's a lot that we could learn from that. Um, and this is this is a ministry-based organization, correct? Right. Yeah. So 
Um, I think that the church can learn a lot from from this organization. Um, and I think that I'm, I'm pulling something up right now. Um, I know we're going to get into a little bit about um, kind of demystifying some things, but with the St. Louis regional context specifically, um, within the last couple of years, we had one of our largest homeless shelters close um, downtown, um, which displaced a lot of people. Um, New Life Evangelistic Center, um, Larry Rice. Um, so I know with, with what I'm going to talk about with, with my other ministry I've worked for, um, that was located very close to that. And um, Casey, with, with your ministry you're working for, I know probably a lot of people that you're, you're serving, you're helping have come from New Life Evangelistic Center and then were d- displaced. Yeah, for certain. That, that direction. Yeah. I have no idea how many um, because it's incredibly hard to track people um, in homelessness, especially because a lot of them lose their important documents during homelessness. So uh, I, your state ID or driver's license usually ends up expiring and then just getting lost. Most um, homeless people that I interact with don't have a copy of their birth certificate or social security card. And it's one of the many barriers that they have to getting out of that. But it makes it really hard to like see where people are moving to and from mm-hmm. um, and who is coming from which place into which other ministries or, or shelters. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, that's good. We're going to definitely go into that a little bit with the de- demystifying um, part of the episode. Um, yeah. So the other, the other um, ministry that I've been a part of in St. Louis. Um, <laughs> Check your church website yeah. and see who your church is giving to because this is a fairly large organization in St. Louis and um, we've actually been contacted by previous churches that we've been a part of um, on staff at and and they the leadership has asked us and, and asked us honestly you know should we be giving to this organization and our answer is no because of how they handled the issue of homelessness yeah um this it's, yeah, I tell you what, I mean, when it, you're going to, I'm going to describe it here in a moment and you're going to say, wow, that sounds really great on paper. And it does, it sounds really great on paper, but it's, it's the treatment of the individual as an image bearer, as a, as a human with dignity. Um, so this, this ministry was, um, it is based out of the North city area of St. Louis. And again, I'm not going to name the name of it, but, um, the idea behind it was, um, people it's 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 an organization they bought like three or four huge buildings in north city it's one you you would drive past it and you'd think oh that's a, a boarded up building but actually it's it's one of these buildings they own them and the idea is um if you are homeless um it's a place where you can come and stay and you could stay for free as long as you work for the organization mm-hmm. uh, and what i mean by that is cleaning toilets sweeping floors whatever the needs are of the organization. Katie's shaking her that head already. sounds a lot like slavery. <laughs> well, it's, it's well, yeah. Modern um, day. Yeah. So, and then the process of being able to stay here, because they, um, in their perspective, they've got limited space, which again, four enormous buildings. Um, but the process is you come and you interview, and then you come back again and interview a second time. And there's th- two or three or four different interviews and essentially you have to, you have to be, um, accepted into it. And, um, what happens is, so th- you have, you have these, these people that have come and they said, great, I can stay, I can get outside of the elements and I can come and stay here. Um, 
and they come and they stay and they work and they actually, they do some cool stuff. Like they do have like, um, some skills based education. Like I, when I was there, um, I helped teach some of the computer classes to like teach them how to type and make a resume and all that. So that was, I mean, that's cool. Um, they also like have like some Bible study stuff that they do. They have pastors come in and teach them the Bible. Um, but it, it becomes an interesting situation because, um, you have people that are running this organization that do not live in the city. They don't understand the context of living in the city. And you have people that when I, in my short time that I was there, um, people were banging on the door, just trying to get accepted. And we were turning away people constantly. And it was all because of the, the people that run the organization that don't live in the city, that don't understand, were afraid of people. They were afraid of the people outside. Um, and so you've got this weird thing of like, we're going to accept you if you are worthy. And if you are not worthy, you can continue banging on the door, but we're not going to let you in, you know, almost a bars in the window type mentality. It's to me, it kind of sounds like the idea or like what you see a lot of, um, large, maybe evangelical churches in the suburbs doing, where they have um, like an outreach day or a program where you go and you serve in in the city for a day and help these poor, downtrodden, homeless people and bring sandwiches and blankets to them. And like that all sounds good on paper, but then again, it's this mentality of like, okay, I did my good deed. You know, I can check this off. I'm serving. I'm, I'm, participating yeah really and and taking photo ugh, taking photos with people who are you know homeless or low income it's the it's the same idea if you go on a mission trip and you take photos with you know children in poverty just to show that you did it so mm-hmm. then it becomes about us checking something off and it's just this workspace i mean i just can't stand that and then they they have no like you said they don't live in the city they have no concept for what's happening there and they they come in and then they leave. Yeah. So it's like, let me go do my thing in this scary, dangerous place. But I actually don't want to plant roots and like invest here because it's spooky and I don't want to be part of that. Yeah. Which is what the people who started, not started the organization, <laughs> but the people who were working at the organization when you were mm-hmm. did. Yeah. And, and literally, I remember one day specifically um, where it was kind of like a show and tell type day. And that was kind of my like, all right. I need to get out of here. Uh, but it was um, the the owners of the organization, um, again, very wealthy. I think they live in like Clayton, um, but very wealthy. Um, they invited all of their like largest donors to come take a tour. So you have all these people, they rolled up in their Porsches and their Mercedes and their BMWs. They all park there and they all walk around the facilities to get a tour. And then here you have, you know, homeless homeless people that are they're swap they're um, mopping the floor they're taking out the trash hey hey this is george he's staying with us he's working for the the ministry now hey everyone wave to george there he is in Ew, the corner. it's like a zoo yeah um really really strange um and again it's just a disconnect of like this is a this is someone who is equal to you know equal to you as far as an image bearer and it's it's treating them like a like a human a zoo monkey. like it's not yeah it's it's really disgusting so I, I, you know, I spent some time there. I actually provided some, I had opportunity to provide some input, um, but it didn't seem like my input was necessarily being heard, um, which is fine, I guess, but I decided to uh, leave the organization and seek out something different. Um, but yeah, so it, I think the, the moral of the story is, um, A, um, if you are 
um, if you belong to a church and they do give to a, a ministry organization, um, do some research, maybe even go and like talk to the people that, that own it or run it and see where their heart's at with that. Um, and then B, um, you know, going back to, to, to bridge bread, um, you know, learning about the context of how the organization came to be, you know, Fred, he lives in South city. He lives down the street from people that are sleeping outside and he planted his business, his outreach in the heart of all that. Casey, I see you nodding your head over there. So I was just thinking about like the issue that comes up with like taking pictures or the touring or whatever. And I think I can I can hear someone making the 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 counter argument, but what you have to market, you have to advertise. Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily entirely disagree with that. I think if an, if no one knows the organization it, it exists, then you can't help anyone because no one is coming to get the resources and no one's giving to provide those resources. Like there's a there's a, a nugget of truth in there, but. It has to be done with like a level of respect and yeah. Dignity. Yeah. Dignity. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean the organization I work for, I think that they actually should do more of that because no one seems to know that they exist. Um, (laughs) and they do a ton of great work that I wish people knew about. Um, but yeah, you, it's about maintaining people's dignity. Remind, remembering that they're, image bearers and that just treating a remembering that like when you're looking at someone who's in that situation that's them probably at their worst moment in their life yeah. and can you imagine being like used as a marketing tool at the worst moment of your entire life yeah yeah and it's um when I mentioned before about, you know, they've got these four giant brick buildings and that they're saying that like, we don't have enough space and all that. And I I could tell you firsthand that there were, I mean, probably 50 empty beds, maybe more, um, open to the, to the public to come and stay. But like, it was just this whole attitude of like, uh, we can't you, trust them we can't, or if, yeah. they, if they haven't been through the interview process. Right. You have to prove to us that you're willing to quote unquote, <laughs> like pick up your own bootstraps and, um, and, and, you know, take control of your life. Um, then that's, I think that's a, I get it, but it's a toxic it's mentality that. So anti-Christ. Anti-Christ. <laughs> I mean, really though, yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about this with other issues too, but where in the gospel do you see Jesus saying, well, just, you know. <sighs> yeah. I don't even it's, know what Well, it's, it's a condition out like, um, you have to prove to me that you're worthy of my grace. Yeah. You know, like there's a condition to grace. Um, pretty sure he showed me mercy when I did not deserve it. Yeah. Something I want to talk about is the, I want to talk about, um, Christian's perspective on homelessness or maybe the misunderstandings that they have about why people are homeless or, you know, like I said earlier, before, before moving to the city, before having homeless friends, I think I would have saw someone standing on the street begging or, you know, with a sign in their hand thinking, just go get a job, you know, stop doing that. But there's so much to that issue and something that we, um, I don't know how we found this out, if it was just us thinking about it or if someone told us, but Many times, I think it was because the homeless friends that we had, they would ask us for money 
and oftentimes they would go buy beer. (laughs) And I remember being frustrated by that. But then if you actually think about, okay, well, they're sleeping outside in the elements. What is something that keeps you warm and fills your belly really fast? Mm -hmm. Beer. Also, when you're homeless, think about if you're, if I'm sleeping on a bench and I have this book bag of belongings, if, if I fall asleep, you know, I could lose all of that. It could get stolen. So many homeless people suffer from insomnia. They're not sleeping. Mm -hmm. And then if they seem mentally off, it's because they haven't slept in days or haven't had a good night's sleep. So how do you get a good night's sleep? You drink because that helps you go to sleep. So there's just so many more layers to it than just, oh, well, they just are lazy and they don't want to have a job, which I think so many of my friends growing up in a privileged mostly white community would say that they would think about that. They would assume that it was just because they were lazy or because they didn't work hard enough. But oftentimes it, I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Yeah. And for the most part, the difference between being on the streets and being not on the streets is a lot more money than they are ever going to be able to gather at one point in time on their own. Um, And it's not like they can, It's not like they have a kitchen to prepare food. Um, Most of them aren't even going to have access to a microwave unless it's in like a gas station that allows them to use it. And so other than fast food, um, which it does not keep, alcohol does. Yeah. 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 It's and and how often have we, I mean, I've done this myself, you know, um, especially before I was more educated on this topic, but like how often have we gone to, you know, pulled up to a stoplight and we say, oh, there, you know, there's someone on drugs. You know, they're acting crazy. They're on drugs, you know, and they're not worthy of my, <laughs> what I yeah. have, my privilege. Or the, the assumption that they're, they're homeless people are dangerous for some reason. I was um, with some friends and the comment was made, you know, oh, be careful. There's some homeless people here. You just, you never know, like keep, make sure you've got your, your purse zipped up or something. <laughs> and I, I don't know about y'all, but I've never met a homeless person who's tried to, hurt me or steal from me or harm me in any Mm -hmm. way. Um, And I think that that is a misconception too, that because you're homeless, you're automatically deemed as scary or dangerous. Mm -hmm. I I think it's again, that it comes back to fear. It's like, it's, it's a lack of understanding and and fear. Um, And I, like, I think about, um, you know, the friends we, we had that were staying in the park near our old house. Um, thinking about possessions, like the things that they had, you know, you're going one day and you, you know, you've got some shoes that are dry. You maybe have some blankets and then the next day it could be gone. Um, and you know, there's a weird, also there's a dynamic between like, um, if you know people that are staying in a park, the police that monitor that park and then the people that are staying in the park, like they're aware of each other. I had no idea this even is a thing, but like they're aware of each other. And like one day they can be totally friendly. And then the next day, uh, I know I remember one of the guys said, yeah, I mean, they, they took all my stuff. You know, I, I was actually like gathering some things that are going to keep me warm this, this winter. And like the police took everything. Um, so there's, there's some weirdness there as well. Um, huge opportunity, um, in St. Louis. And I remember when we first started meeting with people, um, that are sleeping with the worst sleeping outside. And we would tell friends about it. We'd have people that would say they couldn't believe that St. Louis such has, has such a high homeless uh, population. And, and that just blew up even more when that, um, when new life evangelistic center uh, closed down. Yeah. There's a huge need for a new 
uh, shelter in St. Louis, specifically an emergency shelter, one that you can just walk up to and get into. Because like the ones that, that my organization runs, there's an application um, process. Now, a lot of those come through our warming and cooling shelters during the hottest and coldest parts of the year. Um, but it means that if you suddenly lose your house, there's not somewhere that you can just go. Yeah. Um, there's nowhere in St. Louis. And how many times, like me working um, at the front desk at the church we were all on staff at, I would get calls very frequently of people looking for resources, looking, you know, I, I got evicted or I, I need a place to stay tonight or I'm even, even something as simple as like, I am leaving my husband because he's abusive and I need a place to go and them yep. not having family here. You know, I mean, we've had a, we had a close friend who was walking through something really, really difficult and thought she was going to lose her house. Um, and I felt very stuck not knowing like, <laughs> I don't know what resources to give you. Um, because we don't have something like that here. There, there's nothing. Um, and I know there's been talk from a lot of different organizations about trying to put that together, but putting a shelter together that's big enough to meet the city's needs and that can get approval takes time, it takes money, it takes property. Um, and that's not something that comes together quickly or easily, especially not without big financial backing. Right. But what, what entity in, in St. Louis or anywhere has buildings and money and resources? The church does. Uh-huh. So like there, there's a solution out there um, and it's, it's, a, it's a super complex issue. I'm not trying to simplify it. Um, but I think one, where one of the places it starts is learning about um, the, the churches or ministries that are doing the right thing and giving them resources. They're, they've got the boots in the ground. Um, you know, an organization like Bridge Bread um, would love to have, you know, more financial backing and resources. People come in to, to volunteer to, to work the this, this mm-hmm. shop. Yeah. Um, so learning like who's got the boots in the ground and providing resources to them, that's a good place to start. Um, one thing we definitely want to talk about um, is you know, what the, what the Bible says about homelessness. Um, and you know, there, there's a lot that can be said about this, a lot to unpack. Um, Jesus had some pretty strong words. And what did you theme. say that in our current political climate, um, there's a lot of emphasis on working hard and, you know, figure it out. Um, and I think that that has negatively impacted the church because it's just this westernized like view of, I don't know, I don't know how to say that, mm-hmm. but you see what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's like we don't have much mercy for people who are immigrants, who are refugees, who are homeless. And the Bible has, like John said, a lot to say about this. It's and, almost the back end of the prosperity gospel, where if God loves you, he's going to give you good yes. things. Mm. If you have nothing, it's your, we, fault. it's your fault or God, you've done something to anger God. Um, and that's just so unbiblical. Uh huh. Yeah. So unbiblical. And how, like, as privileged people, like us three in, in a lot of churches, like, how dare we come to it with the issue with that posture of, like, <laughs> we have all these things and you should too, and we're better for some reason. Before we talk about what the Bible says about this, one thing I want to make sure we talk about this is just a question I had written down. How does white privilege play into homelessness? It's a great question. <laughs> I think it and, depends on where you are to some degree. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because I just know like all three of us being white middle-class, you know, from middle-class families, um, this would have never been probably something that I would have had to face. And I think my views on it growing up would have like, they were formed because I had no, I was so privileged. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to think about what would happen if we were on the streets. I mean, my dad had a very secure job with great benefits. My mom had a very secure job with great benefits. Um, we, I grew up in a beautiful home, you know, on land that they own family land. Um, this, it's just not something. And I also had family who was privileged. So if something were to happen to us, we would have a place to go. So I just wonder what, you know, the fact that I am a white middle-class American, how does that impact my, I guess, lack of. Yeah. Um, I want to start by saying that I think a lot of homelessness and poverty in general are a lot bigger issue than we like to give them credit. Um, I think it's like 40% of people in America are within one paycheck of poverty, Uh um, which poverty does not necessarily mean homelessness, but it can, and it often does. Um, So that means you get laid off and it takes you two weeks to find a job. That's that's the difference between you and poverty for 40% of Americans, which... It's a lot of white people, a lot of middle-class white people. Um, and I think we pretend that that's not the case because it scares the crap yeah. out of us. But it is. Um, I think when it comes to how we then interact with people who are in poverty, I think some of it's uh, that fear, we're displacing that fear because we know that to some degree onto those people. Um and then racism can definitely be a part of it um, if the person you're interacting with is not the same race you are. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that have fear in general towards people that are different than them, and you combine that with the fear around poverty, and it can lead people to make some really poor decisions and mistreat people in general. Yeah, I mean, in St. Louis has you know obviously a huge history of, of racism and and displacing people and you know you talk about like white flight and how you know that a lot of people a lot of white folk uh, left the uh, the city and moved out to you know St. Charles West County area and um left they took a lot of the resources with them um and so i mean there you we could talk hours and hours about about that but i also want to clarify not clarify but make the statement that um and I know you weren't saying this, but um, homelessness, poverty is not um, r- racially selective. There's a lot of, I don't even know, I even know like South County, um, Afton, there's there's white people that are homeless as well. I know that, but <clears throat> statistically, <clears throat> sure. this is on inhomelessness.org. We can link to it in the show notes. There we go. Um, African Americans make up more than 40% of the homeless population. Um, and then it goes to list American Indians, Alaska natives, like native Americans, um, native Hawaiians, Hispanic, but then it says both whites and Asians are significantly underrepresented among the Mm. homeless population. Yeah. Yeah. So there is something to be said about it. Absolutely. I think part of that has to do with generational wealth. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where I wanted to go with this. Things like the Homestead Act and, um, that 
were exclusively given to white families have allowed a lot of white people in the U.S. To have wealth. As families, not as individuals, to be more wealthy than black families. Mm. You can still be poor and white. You can still be rich and black. But we're talking on average for... Majority. Groups of people. Uh Yeah. So if your great-great-grandfather got this free big plot of land out west and has continued to use that... He passed it to his his children and to their children which to their is what children, has to me. which built wealth. Yeah. That eventually means that you, those descendants are, on average, more wealthy. And there's circumstances that can get rid of that or improve those situations. But in the U.S., black folks are just poorer because of the history of racism systemically that has put them there. Mm-hmm. And I think. That's where I wanted to go with that comment was that as someone who grew up in a privileged area, I'm white, you know, middle class. I just don't think I understood that until more recently in my life when I've interacted with people of different cultures, of different um, socioeconomic like backgrounds. And and in, unless you, like John said, unless you learn people's stories, unless you're willing to like rub shoulders with people who are different than you, then you stay completely blind to some of these issues that we're talking about on the podcast. So yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to go with that. Yeah. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that, that want to say, but that ended decades or centuries ago. And no, I mean, (laughs) sorry, redlining was pretty recently, which was the practice of banks, not allowing uh, loans into uh, predominantly black neighborhoods. Um, In today, the, the continuing effect of that and the earlier legislation is that the property values for black families are lower um, for black neighborhoods and property taxes fund schools, Hmm. which means that if you live in a black neighborhood, your schools are worse. They just, they just are. And great teaching from people who really care and organizations like teach for America, putting people in those schools can help, mitigate that to some extent but i know say roosevelt high school on gravaway gets a third of the funding per student as clayton like that's just in st louis um i think it's yeah it's it's an insane amount of difference and when you add on that those families are already dealing with a lot so they can't contribute a lot to their child's education they're getting a worse education they're probably going home to not a lot of food mm-hmm. in a lot of circumstances. All of those things add up to put people in situations where not being in poverty is a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. There's um there's something also really interesting. I, I just want to mention this really quick. Uh, I'm fascinated by this. Um, there's this like, there's this thing happening, this wave of um, parks in cities um, specifically areas where it's predominantly um, people of color, minorities, and um, it's places where uh, people sleeping outside tend to congregate. Um, a lot of them are being fenced off and becoming dog parks, which is really interesting. That's um, so true. And I think there's a weird, really crazy psychology behind like you are elevating uh, dogs over human beings. And it's, I, it's something that I, I, I've done a little research on, but not enough. And I would love for someone like, if you're a listener, like Google this and someone like write a book or we're not anti dog. <laughs> we're by not anti dog. We love dogs. 
Um, but yeah, like do some research. Someone needs to do something about this issue. Cause it's like, there's another one that just popped up in downtown St. Louis where I know a lot of people used to congregate. There was a lot of trees uh, what, that provided a lot of shade and they literally chopped down all those trees, put a fence up and now it's a dog park. Huh. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's insane. It's not a new phenomenon. I mean, anti-homeless architecture has been a thing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Whenever you see like a, a bench in a park or at a bus stop that has uh, armrests oh, the whole halfway. length of it, it's to keep them homeless from right. sleeping there. Um, there's a lot of like really small pieces that you don't think about unless it becomes necessary Wow, where we've or companies and cities have decided to build things in a way to make it impossible or incredibly inconvenient for homeless to congregate um, anywhere. Um, Roman Mars over at 99% Invisible does a great episode on the history of that. Go check it out. Maybe we'll link it in the show notes. But yeah, um, yeah, it's it's not new. Yeah, and and those those parks tend to be near... um, you know, I know the one I'm, I'm condos. Yeah. I was gonna say the one I'm it's thinking of recently, in like Midtown, it's yeah. Yeah. Ikea re- where all that big stuff's happening. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So you've got all these people that have like lots of money and uh-huh. resources and privilege. And they're like, we don't want to look at people outside trying to keep cool under a tree. And I think people our age too, they look at like all this fun stuff coming in, in downtown St. Louis, like, Oh my gosh, we're getting, um, the foundry. And like, we have all these new restaurants and all this fun stuff but we're losing all of these places like John mentioned for the homeless community to exist. And, um, you know, it is like, it is exciting to have a lot of that stuff coming in. I mean, I like good restaurants. I like shopping, but at the same time when you, I feel like these are things that when your eyes have been open to them, it's very hard to not notice. And, you know, I'll have friends come in and visit from other cities or, um, just people coming in, like traveling that we're taking around to show our favorite spots to. And they don't understand. Cause like when I say, yeah, it's really cool. This stuff's coming in. There's a, there's a hint of like, but it also kind of sucks because then these people are being pushed out. Yeah. And that's the kind of idea of gentrification, which is, you know, a new business comes in, which means the property values go up. And as that happens over and over again, eventually, even the families that own or rent homes in that neighborhood can't afford to live there anymore because their rent has gone up. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you end up with homelessness Uh somewhere else. Uh (laughs) Or more often what happens is those families leave and then they push out the next lower tier of housing and then down and then then down. And then eventually you end up with the few districts in a city that still have place for homeless people are more heavily occupied and it's just denser. Um, There's more of them in that space, Mm -hmm. but there's not any anywhere else in the city or a smaller amount everywhere else. And yeah, I mean, it, it it snowballs. It's again, it's not a simple fix, but there are ways that um, a city or a church can strategically not displace people. You don't have to displace people. Um, It just takes a little bit of extra effort. And something we often say is, you know, as we kind of come back to to the idea of, not the idea, but as we come back to what does scripture say about this, 
you know, I, I'm sure there are people listening to this conversation thinking, oh, I knew, you know, this was going to go to the left, right? You know, ah, oh, so liberal or, you know, it's, why do we have to get so political? I liked this podcast before it started getting political. It's, it's not even but political. We, here's what we always say. It's not a political issue. It's a kingdom issue. Yes. You will hear us say that, that we should just do hashtag, you know, that's what that, we are <laughs> always going to say that. It's a kingdom issue. Um, caring about people, like loving people. It shouldn't be partisan anyway. No, never. It's not red or blue. Right, right. No, it's, I mean, this is, we are, the goal of this, this podcast and specifically this episode is to seek what the Bible says about this. It's not just to, to align with a, a left or a right or whatever. Like, what does the Bible say about our homeless savior, Jesus, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Um, so true. I think, I mean, there's a lot of verses that, that speak on this. Um, I think the, probably the, most common one, not common, but you would, you might know it even if you don't read the Bible often is, um, the story of the good Samaritan. Um, it's Luke 10, um, specifically like verses 30 through 37, um, which I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, um, essentially you have a story about, you know, someone who was needing assistance on the side of the road and a lot of people were passing by. Right. And, um, I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So you've got all these people passing by this person on the side of the road. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So you got this story about, you know, um, several people passing by this person who's on the side of the road. Then you have the Samaritan that comes and (laughs) cross-culturally engages this person and he does it unconditional. He doesn't say, are you going to, pick up your bootstraps? Are you going to get a job? Are you going to prove to me that you're worthy of this grace? No, he, he practiced restoration. He saw him, he had compassion. He, he bound up his wounds. Not only that, he didn't just bind up his wounds, but he gave him an animal and he gave him a place to stay. Um, I love that story. Every time I read it, it gives me chills. Um, another one, I, because I think sometimes when you're talking about issues concerning refugees, immigrants, homelessness, um, widows, you know, taking care of the poor. A lot of the verses that are referenced are from the Old Testament. So this could be something where someone says, oh, you know, just quoting that Old Testament. First of all, the Old Testament matters just as much as the New Testament. So come on, y'all. But I love that scripture in Matthew, um, Matthew 25. This is just 30 verse 34 through 40. um, And I'll read this too. It says, then the king will come to those on his right Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and come to you, or naked and clothe you? And then he talks about, you know, what you do for the least of these you've done for me also. And 
I mean, that's a commandment to us. It almost suggests that the most important thing for getting into heaven is how you treat yeah. homeless people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that's all there is to it, but Jesus makes a big deal out of it. And he repeats that again, going through how um, the same process, but with those who did not help. And the fact that he spent that much time and he like reiterates the whole thing indicates he really cared about that issue. Absolutely. Can we talk about, so we're talking about the biblical response to homelessness or what the Bible says. Let's talk about often what Christians do when they encounter a homeless person. And this is one of my big pet peeves. I think that there's, there's a couple different ways. So there's people who simply write a check. They put it in the offering bucket and they think, well, you know, I'm doing my good deed. I know this is going to, you know, there's a specific organization, maybe the church's, um, you know, highlighting on that service or that Sunday. So they, they show that they care from their checkbook, which I think it has to go a lot further than your checkbook. But then another um, response might be kind of, it's like the youth group response or something. Mm-hmm. Like we, we took a trip to the Del Mar loop and we saw a homeless person. We seeked out. We seeked out a home. No, or, or the a homeless person may, maybe ask for a ride or ask for some change. And then instead of giving them anything tangible, they say, well, you know, I'm not going to give you anything, but can I pray for you? Because there's this fear that they're going to take that money and buy alcohol or buy drugs. So, well, I'm just going to pray for you. Um, Something we talked about earlier was the hierarchy of needs. And until that is met, um, so, so we're like coming to these people with like love and belonging. That's what we're offering them when we're, when we're praying for them or esteem, um, self-actualization, but like, the physiological and the safety, like those are the two lowest things on the hierarchy of needs. So until those things are met, the other stuff does not matter. It doesn't matter how many times you pray for them. Um, you know, just being their buddy, like they need their needs met. Yeah. It makes me think of James, um, where he talks about, um, faith that works is dead. And if I can pray in the, uh, the tongues of, Uh of gods and angels or whatever. And, um, but I don't have love, then it's all for naught. Yeah. And Jesus makes a very clear definition of love as an active thing, something where you are going out to meet people where they are and meet their needs as best you can. And if you're doing anything short of that, I don't think you're living up to the gospel. And I would say a heart that has been transformed by the gospel, you know, and, and Jesus is speaking about, like you said, he said, you know, you kind of made the joke. It seems like the the thing that gets you into heaven is being kind to homeless people. But I would say if your heart has truly been transformed by the gospel and you have, you have met the, the, the Jesus that we know, you know, the risen Lord, you can't, you can't have a heart that is cold towards people in need. Your heart naturally turns to mercy because again, we've been shown mercy when we did not deserve it. Yeah. So because I've been shown mercy, therefore I show it. Yeah. And, and listen to this, Proverbs 14. I mean, this is strong words. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So, if, if you are, a, a, and oppression doesn't necessarily mean like you're stealing money from them, but if you are oppressing them in withholding 
what you've been blessed with, like you're saying, we've been blessed, so we need to go be a blessing. If you're withholding that, in in some instances, you are oppressing them, um, which is an insult, <laughs> insult to to your maker. And then also, Proverbs 28: Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So I mean, there's some strong language uh, being used. And on that vein of oppression i would even add and this is probably going to make some people uncomfortable but do it if you if you vote for people whose mm. political platform is oppressing people in poverty then you have some things to answer for and i don't i don't know what your is going on in your life but i think jesus is going to have some questions for you amen brother um yeah. and doesn't matter what what political party or affiliation that requires, but that's just the truth. So people might be hearing us talk and and listening to this episode and wondering, okay, you know, that all sounds great, but how do I avoid, you know, if I, if I hand somebody a $20 bill on the street, how do I know they're not going to go buy drugs? How do I know? Well, well, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think, you know, if we, if we hold our, our wealth, if we hold our, are what we've been given with open hands saying, first of all, it's not mine in the first place. Everything I've been given has been a blessing from the Lord. Like none, none of my house, my, my income, it's not mine. So who am I to withhold that from someone else? And you, you don't know. And yes, you do run that risk that they could turn around and buy drugs. They could turn them out. I mean, but but I mean, you can't like that mentality is not going to get you anywhere. <laughs> yeah, we're stewards. And I think yeah. we forget that sometimes like nothing we have is ours. Everything yeah. belongs to God. Yeah. If you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you, you, I'm sorry, but you sort of live in a communist state. Jesus, Jesus <laughs> has everything. He's the only one. He's the dictator. Everything else you, 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 basically you agree to it because he's benign he's and he, he loves you and he knows everything. So he does a great job. <laughs> he's big brother. Right. Just, just kidding. But really, I mean, and I think uh, that that makes some people uncomfortable, yeah, but yeah. And, and just, just, just remember like this is, I, I can't say this enough just because you have doesn't make you more righteous or more loved or more like the, the ground is even at the feet of the cross, right? Uh-huh. Like I, I don't have more just because I have some things I, I should do something with those things, but like, it doesn't make me uh, more righteous in God's eyes or more loved. Um, one more verse I'll just pick out really quick. Um, James it's on this topic. James two, five um, says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. So like those in poverty are rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom in many regards, they're better off than I am. You know, um, we have, but that being said, um, there's a lot that you and I can do and we can do as, as believers, even if you're not a believer and you're listening to this and um, you know, you're thinking I, I would like to, to help out in some way. Uh, obviously there's a need in my area. Like it starts with learning, you know, who's, who's doing it right. Who's investing in people on an individual level and, and starting to partner with them and don't be afraid to, I mean, heck have more for, have someone over for dinner that, you know, is sleeping outside in your community. I mean, it, I know it takes, 
it takes some like, yeah, I got to get down in the trenches here, but it's probably going to be not as crazy as you think. You're probably just going to have dinner. And I'll tell you what, when we started having those homeless, our homeless friends over for dinner, we had a lot of um, friends who lived in the suburbs coming to those dinners as well. And a specific friend you know, would bring her, um, toddler son. And I remember it was just so fun to watch these guys, you know, interact with her little boy and to the rest of the world, they might've thought, Ooh, like, don't, you know, it doesn't make you kind of nervous, like (laughs) with them around him. But she said, no, like I'm teaching him, I'm teaching him how to love like Jesus. Like this is what we do as, as believers. So I think, you know, learning, learning people's stories, not being afraid to interact with, you know, those people who are homeless, um, like John said, getting involved in organizations who are doing it right. Um, and then, you know, I, I I think I read this in a, in a book, but, um, there was a story in something that I read about these, this church organization or the small group wanted to make a bigger impact on their homeless community. So they started packaging up sandwiches and blankets and they would take them to this camp where the homeless people lived and essentially just kind of drop them off. You know, here's a sandwich and a blanket. And they did that frequently and they didn't, they weren't making a lot of headway with this community. They weren't, they didn't feel like they were making a lasting impact. And, um, they decided, okay, we've given them the tangible and we continue to give them the tangible, but what's that next level of relationship? So then the next time they came and they brought tables and cards and thermoses of like hot cocoa and they stayed and they played games and their children got to know the homeless people and they played catch and they they built relationships with them and that's where true transformation happens yeah that's where it's at that's awesome i love that okay so in closing um i think we wanted to end the podcast you know because there probably are people listening who are thinking okay you know, this is something that I'm passionate about, or this is something that I now see is a need, or now I see that it's important. How can I get involved? How can I do more than just write a check and put it in the offering bucket? Um, what can I do to be part of eliminating homelessness in my region? So I want both of you to share any resources that you might have since you have worked um, alongside ministries that have helped with homelessness and all that. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I've, I've mentioned several times, but, um, yeah, go to bridge bread. Um, their website's bridgebread.org. Um, go there and there's, there's a spot on there where you can a, uh, sign up to volunteer, uh, for the shop, um, to help sell the goods or B to donate financially as well. And just buy their bread. <laughs> like, yeah. It's good stuff and it keeps getting better and better. Those yeah. cinnamon rolls are great. Yeah. Cinnamon rolls are great. Bagels, bagels, communion bread. I mean, if you're, if you go attend a church locally or you're on staff at a church locally, like, you know, make a connection because that would be a mm-hmm. huge blessing to them, especially if you go to a large church. Imagine buying communion bread from Bridge Bread and yeah. being able to make that contribution every single week. Yeah. And that money literally goes back Straight to the bakers. Back to the bakers. Like you buy the bread, they get the proceeds and they they're all part of a restoration that's happening. It's it's an amazing organization. Um and then in relation to them, um, we mentioned earlier that they partner with um, housing um, ministries, housing organizations. Um, Home First mm-hmm. is the one that they partner with specifically, but they help um, provide housing for those who are sleeping outside. Um, mm-hmm. And 
Go, I was just going to say their website is homefirststl.org. Yeah. So that's another one that you could look up, um, either volunteer for or provide financial resources. You can donate on their website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bridge Bread would also would love to, to connect you to them as well. Um, Casey, what do you got? I would also say that if you know anyone or you encounter anyone who's experiencing homelessness, these are also good resources to oh, connect yeah, people to. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you specifically want like a ministry or religious basis, um, the Salvation Army is great. Um, Catholic Charities and St. Vincent de Paul Society yeah. are also great. If you're just one of those people that likes to go to thrift stores. Both Shop of them, at St. Vincent de Paul because yeah. it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, both of those have great thrift stores and the money goes to really great organizations that do good work in the city. Um Startherestl.com, I'm sorry, .org yeah. is a great website just to find resources. And it breaks it down by category. So if you f- have a specific interest of who you want to serve in the city, that might be a good place to find an organization that's relevant mm-hmm. or to direct people to if you know someone who has a need. Yeah. You can go like you can go shelters, and you can you can break that down even farther to like women's shelters or uh-huh. just out of prison. Like it, you can get really specific. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, the bail project is a great one for people that are coming out of prison who are going then for, to the streets. Um, um, who else? Uh, United Way is a general is a great organization that funds a lot of those other organizations or provides some funding to them. And they're a good way to just get connected and to one of those other ones that might be more what you're looking to do. Yeah. And I, and we know that not everyone that listens to this podcast lives in the St. Louis region, but just hop online um, and just type in your city, um, homeless outreach. Uh, I, a lot of Catholic churches do provide this type of ministry. So looking up the maybe the Catholic um, churches in go your neighborhood. Catholics. Yeah, go Catholics. Or um, fans. I love Catholic people. I wish I was, um, but <laughs> they do a good job. Yeah, they do. Um, so yeah, look that up in your neighborhood. Um, I can almost guarantee that there's some kind of uh-huh. um, homeless or poverty outreach happening in that neighborhood. Well, we just want to thank everybody so much for listening to the fifth episode of the Turning Tables podcast. We will definitely be revisiting this topic um, a few times probably. And uh, I think we have the goal of having Fred um, of Bridge Bread maybe on as a guest. So John needs to make that connection happen. Um, But thank you again for listening. Uh, Make sure to subscribe, rate, and remember to review. If you have not (laughs) left us a review, please make it a nice one. Five stars. Um, Tell your friends about the podcast tag us on facebook twitter instagram at turning pod take a screenshot of yourself listening to this episode put it in your story tell all your friends about it and help us spread the good news oh boy <laughs> of the turning tables podcast so until next week go in peace